0: Welcome to the Unsweetened Sio podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsio.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 87 of Unsweetened Sio, the podcast. Today, I'm really excited to welcome back Sarah Levite. She's a licensed psychotherapist and wellness coach who has been in private practice for over 30 years. She works with individuals, couples, and groups committed to helping clients experience more meaningful, satisfying lives. Whether they come to her with issues of depression, anxiety, relationship challenges, addictions, or stress management, she strives to help them feel heard without judgment, supported without minimizing, and guided with real-life tools to use when they are not in her office. In addition to her private practice work she has been a social worker and guardian ad litem in massachusetts has worked as a counselor for the department of corrections in maine and has extensive experience leading workshops in maine massachusetts new jersey pennsylvania and florida on a personal note sarah has been sugar and flour free for 31 years and is in excellent health as a result So I am really excited to welcome you back, Sarah, today. Thank you so much for talking with us again. It
1: is my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Siobhan.
0: And the reason I asked Sarah back is, um, first of all, if you have not listened to her previous episode, it's episode 77, and I'm gonna link that here in in the notes section. But she talked, Sarah, in that interview, she talks about her own story of sugar addiction and how she's over, overcome it and just had some really, really great insights. So if you haven't listened to that, make sure you take a listen to episode 77. Because um, today, from that conversation, uh, we, we were talking a little bit about like body image and really learning to love ourselves and So I invited Sarah back to really talk about this issue and especially, you know, here we are approaching Valentine's Day and I just thought it would be a really good time to think about how to love ourselves more, how to be more compassionate, how to be more kind to ourselves, you know, Um, and one of the big topics to me, I think, for people is body image and body distortion. You know, I know that's something I've struggled with for many, many years, much better now that I'm, um, you know, probably comfortable in my body for the first time ever since being sugar and flour free. But uh, Sarah has a lot of information around this. So I'm just going to let her dive in. So thank you so much, Sarah. Thank
1: you, Siobhan. Well, first I wanted to start with why I think this is an important subject to talk about. And what I find in my private practice is that um, a lot of time in people's lives has been wasted, fixating on their appearance and um, distorted thoughts around body image. And I just imagine to myself, what could they be doing with that time that is going to something that not only results in distorted thoughts, but also a lot of shame Um, shame and disgust with oneself and that is heartbreaking so I like to talk about this and I like to reframe it in my clients minds away from body image to body connection I'm really interested in um, helping my clients to uh, refer to their bodies more as an internal experience than something that gets validated externally um, obviously, if you look around when you're out in public, you see lots of sizes and shapes of bodies. And that's really the way that we're meant to be, is diverse. No two bodies are the same. Um, we, we vary in eye color, we vary in hair color, we vary in height, and we vary in um, bone structure and builds. And I think that that diversity, rather than being ridiculed or used as a basis for competition between people, I think that that should be celebrated. Um, I feel that everybody deserves to feel good inside their body. That's a birthright. And I think the problem, one of the problems is that, um, is our society, our culture. I think that our society should change its focus from body appearance to what's actually working in our body. What are the miracles in our body? Um, Regardless of any individual challenges that people may have or handicaps that people may have physically, our bodies are still miracles, just the mere fact that they exist. And I like to help people to pivot away from the um, critical voice in their head toward the one of awe and wonder and appreciation and gratitude. So it's really society that should change. It's not necessarily um, our bodies that need to change. Now that obviously, doesn't refer to the people who are living in an unhealthy way and their bodies are rep, uh, representing that, whether it be that they're not moving their bodies or whether, whether it be that they are ingesting foods that are not nutritionally um, helpful. Um, but our bodies also respond very much to the media messages and the external cues that we get from outside of ourselves. Another thing that I like to do is talk to my clients about the phenomenon, the sociology behind, you know, how was it that a woman like Marilyn Monroe, who today would be considered overweight, how is it that she was her body was so revered at that time and what happened? And I have a couple of theories, um, they're just my own theories, there's no scientific basis or data behind it, but I think that one of the things that happened, two things, major things that happened. One is that um, coinciding with the women's movement, when women attempted to get more and more independent, I think that that's right around when there became an obsession with thinness. And I think that there was some kind of dynamic around women's bodies being viewed as something that should be shrunken, almost as their power should be shrunken. And so I don't know this for a fact, but it feels to me like it's not a coincidence that like the women's movement and Twiggy and all of that came about at around the same time. The other thing that I think contributes greatly to the distorted body image and the emphasis on body appearance has been the food industry and the foods that were created um, after World War II uh, for convenience ended up being pretty devoid of nutrition and oftentimes very addictive. And so what was happening is people were consuming foods that were not whole foods. And they were as a result, um, I think not feeling as satiated and satisfied nutritionally. And I think that their bodies just went haywire as a result. So I I fault the messages in our society And I also fault junk food, I think that's a problem. I think that currently social media wreaks total havoc on people's perception of and sense of comparison of themselves and the outer world. Um, We all know that things do not often get posted on social media that are less attractive sides And so what we're doing is we're comparing how we feel on the inside of us to what we see on the outside, uh, internal to other people's external. And that can uh, enable a very incongruent sense of what's real and what isn't, what's achievable and what isn't, and what's healthy and what isn't. I've worked with a lot of clients that are very thin that are unhealthy. And I've worked with a lot of clients who are uh, larger people who are... I think, very healthy, physically, mentally, emotionally. And so I don't really buy into this notion that thin is always well. I do believe that lots of people, um, uh, their health is compromised by a lot of excess weight. And I think that that's a result more of the quality or lack thereof of the food that they're eating or the lack of movement. Um, And so those those are two things that I try to guide my clients toward focusing on. I think that that's important. So in order to remedy some of the critical thoughts that a lot of people have in their mind about their body, I encourage people to focus more on the inside. So what does that mean? That means connecting to your physical experience on a more conscious level. That can happen in multiple ways. But ultimately what we want is we want to identify what contributes to our body feeling calm. Many people, many people overeat because they are anxious. They use it as a way to calm themselves, to sedate themselves, to manage fear and anxiety. Um, So when people are able to identify their feeling state inside, whether it's loneliness, anger, um, sadness, anxiety, when they are able to identify how that feels inside their body, they are able to distinguish between something called appetite and hunger. Um, you know, appetite is when you walk by uh, a bakery and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, I should have one of those. And hunger is when you're busy doing something and your stomach starts talking, and you start thinking about food because physiologically your body is saying, I need more fuel. Um, so, getting in touch with one's body, how do we calm our bodies? Because when we are, our bodies are in a calm state, we are less inclined to engage in unhealthy behaviors, and that includes unhealthy thoughts. When we're feeling peaceful and calm and serene, our thoughts are available, our positive thoughts are more available to us. So learn how to tune into yourself internally, rather than depending on external validation or feedback about how you feel. I think it's important to try to avoid, you know, spending time with people who are overly focused on appearance. Um, That we all have 24 hours in the day. And some of us, um, you know, feel like we have some say in how we spend that 24 hours. Certainly some people have more Uh, flexibility than others but we get to decide for the most part who we bring into our social circle and if our social circle is not comprised of people who are um, helping us to grow and uh, become um, more balanced in our own lives then we also have to look at are they the people that we want to be spending a lot of time with. Another thing that I uh, ask my clients to do is is to explore how do you feel on a physical level after you eat certain foods? So one of the things that contributes to body distortion and body image um, issues is that people confuse bloating with being fat. They they confuse those two things and we can feel bloated for all sorts of reasons. And um, that can be a result of simply what we've chosen to eat how quickly we're eating, if we're chewing enough, uh, and those kinds, if we're gulping water down, you know, we're ingesting a lot of air that way, that can contribute to bloating. Certain foods make some of us more bloated than others. So I ask them to pay attention to how do I feel after I eat certain foods? Do I feel energized? Do I feel satiated? Do I feel wired? Do I feel like uh, I'm getting a craving for more and more? Um, Do I feel like I'm getting obsessive? How does our body feel after we ingest certain foods? How does our body feel when we're with certain people? So there may be people in our lives that we just feel more self-conscious around, either because of things that they've said or implied or just the chemistry between us and them. Now that's not to blame anybody. This isn't about blame. It's about observing with curiosity what it is that seems to enable us to live our best lives in terms of peace and serenity. So that's something that I encourage my clients to pay attention to. Um, another question that they can ask themselves is how, is, how is our body functioning at this stage in our lives? So. You know, There's a big difference in most people's metabolisms as they get older, not for all people, but many people. Women, they go through all sorts of different stages in their lives hormonally, and that can impact how they feel in their body, how their body kind of shakes down in terms of where, uh, where its weight goes. So how does a person, how is their body functioning at this stage in their life? Is their body feeling like it's extra hungry? Is that because of physical hunger or is it because of appetite? Are we finding that we are thinking more about food because we're in isolation from a pandemic? Um, you know, just noticing without judgment. And my my intention throughout all of my work is to help my clients cultivate self compassion because I really believe that when we are talking to ourselves in a supportive, compassionate way, it gives us more opportunity to improve our lives in a way that is aligned to our values and what it is that we need. When we talk to ourselves in a critical way, it causes pain, it causes us to shut down. In some of us, it causes us to wanna rebel. In some of us, it can contribute to depression. So I don't see any positive uh, result of talking to ourselves in a mean critical way. So this is a difficult thing for people to exercise because so many of our thoughts come in and out so quickly. So if somebody is a parent, I will ask them to imagine how they would feel if their child were talking to themselves in a critical way. If somebody is not a parent, I would ask them to ask uh, themselves how they would feel if a child that they love, whether it's a niece or a nephew, um, somebody that they, some child that's in their life, how they would feel if that person were talking to themselves in the same way. And it just enables people to access the horror and the, um, the shock of some of the way that we talk to ourselves.
0: So it's, really key just right there because I was thinking that uh, I'm kind of taking some notes as you're talking and I do think your internal dialogue is so important Um, sometimes I think I love that like what would you say to your child or a kid that you care about but also like I just think sometimes we're so so much harder on ourselves than I also think like would I talk to a friend would I talk to my best friend about like this you know, would I, no, I wouldn't, I would be so much more understanding. It's like, okay, it's okay. You you know, like, it's just so funny how we can be so much harder on ourselves. Um, And the other thing I was thinking about as you're saying this, just as a mom of two kids, something that I'm very aware of, is being careful what I say because my children are listening and watching, you know, that was one of my biggest motivators for getting over my addiction was because I knew they would be watching me and hearing me. And I didn't want to be, you know, I don't even keep a scale in the house because I don't want to be weighing myself. Um, I think so many of uh, us grow up, unfortunately around people in our families that do not have a strong body image themselves, and then kind of pass that along, you know, it it just goes generation, generation. So I, I feel as a parent, I really am cognizant of, I will never say anything negative about my body in front of my children, you know, because I don't want them having those thoughts. So I don't know if you can talk a little more about that, um, maybe expand on that a little bit more. Cause I just think that's really important. A lot of us, that's how we learn this stuff is from, you know, our own moms or aunts or grandparents or whoever that might have been more, you know, obsessed with. <laughs> How mm-hmm. you look on the on the outside, and and I think that's really hard to recover from when you've been kind of conditioned, you know, that way to think that way.
1: I agree. I agree, and I think that you raise a, a really important point, because not only is it what we say in front of children, uh, but or any any younger person that we that we have influence over, but it's also the the nonverbal cues. You know, if, if we roll our eyes when we look at ourselves in the mirror, or if we're somehow implying that our body is, is broken because it looks a certain way. Um, so there's a lot of mindfulness and awareness that has to come into this. I, um, I believe that when, for example, if a client comes into my office and they say, I feel so fat today, one of the first questions I will say to them is, what's going on emotionally? because I want people to make the connection between uh, the body obsession and emotions that maybe are causing them discomfort. Um, So I'll do that. I also think that for parents, especially parents of of daughters, I think it's important that um, that moms be very careful, like you said, about any messages that they're given. It's one thing if a mom wants to complain to her girlfriend about how she feels about her body, that's her prerogative. But what she says in front of her daughter has a lot of implications. And I think it's important that she be mindful of that. I also um, think that when, uh, let's say an adolescent girl is is saying something to her mom or dad about, you know, I feel so disgusting in my body or, or I'm so fat, Um, I think that it's important for the conversation to go in the direction of, well, let's talk a little bit about how you feel and how your health is, how you're sleeping. Do you feel like you have enough energy? Um, Do you feel like, uh, you know, maybe we can all afford to eat more fruits and vegetables? While people are raising children, they have a lot more control over what their child eats than once the young person leaves the house, obviously. And so if you have a child that's feeling really unhappy with their body, then you could start to talk to them about nutrition and really keep the conversation away from weight. Ask them, how do you feel in your body? You know, do you feel any aches and pains? Do you feel like certain foods, you know, upset your stomach? Talk that way rather than um, focusing on the appearance part.
0: I love that. I think that's really key. And like you said earlier, thin does not necessarily equal healthy, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think even, yeah, being able to talk to kids in that way without mentioning, like you said, weights, but more about how they're feeling and what can they do to feel, you know, better. Like, oh, you know, even if it's just, well, I'm feeling kind of tired. Well, maybe we should start doing more exercise. And then I like the idea too, of you kind of making it more like it's a whole, f- like we're going to do together too, you know, um, especially I think it's so much easier doing this stuff with other people. So that's, you know, really the way to encourage your kids would be to, um, you know, start those healthier habits with them. Cause that's going to benefit them, the whole family.
1: That's right. And I always, I always cringe a little bit when, um, when people will tell me that, that they, that they try to stay away from junk food, but that they buy it for their kids. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I cringe a little bit is because I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody that needs junk food. Um, You know, we can't control what our kids are buying when they're not home. We can't control that or what they're eating at a friend's house. However, if if we're hungry and there's only like real or healthy food in the house, that's what we're going to end up eating. And another thing that contributes to our distorted body image is that we are eating foods that are not real. Mm -hmm. Junk food is is not real food. And the way that our body processes it, it goes against our natural way. Um, You know, back in the caves, they weren't eating processed food. They were eating foods and it was all based on their biological need uh, and also their, their geographical location, what was available to them. So all of a sudden you fast forward to when convenience foods and fast food and um, you know, processed food came into development all under the guise of making our lives easier. It's the pendulum swung so far away from anything that uh, you know, seemed to replicate real food that people started to use that as the norm. There are lots of people who eat processed food exclusively they don't eat fruits and vegetables. Um, lots of kids have no idea where fruits and vegetables come from. So these are the things that if we are eating whole food, a body also is conditioned to give us accurate information about what is satiating and what isn't. So that's something that families can do. I think that families, and it can be incremental. It doesn't have to be big. It's not like, okay, we're all going vegan. Because incidentally, there is no one right way of eating for everybody. There are lots of people who like to eat animal products, there are some people who don't, there are some people who are doing find that, you know, um, that they they like to, that, that gluten doesn't work, whatever, whatever it is that works for your body. But I think that we can agree that, that nobody needs junk food. Um, and so just making incremental changes where perhaps uh, families just start to introduce a little bit more fruit you know, maybe a couple of pieces of fruit a week, you start small um, because that will then adjust our taste buds to get to the point where the real food just satisfies not only on a nutritional level, but also from an experiential level. Um, I think it's important for um, people to be mindful of how much they're looking in the mirror uh, because I think that mirrors can be a real trigger and can fuel the distorted thoughts that we have in our mind about our bodies. I remember working as a therapist with a group of anorexics and uh, we were in a group therapy session and one of the anorexics looked across at, at another anorexic and she said, you are really anorexic, but she didn't see it in herself. And so our minds are capable of deceiving us and consequently, if somebody looks in the mirror a lot of times they don't really see the actual body. They fixate and focus in on the part of their body that they like the least. Mm-hmm. This is something that I noticed a lot in my practice, that, that people, um, they, they have a part of their body that they like the least. And because they're so focused on that part, it eliminates all the other parts of their body. So whether it's somebody's stomach or their thighs or whatever, their arms, Uh, When they look in a mirror, they hone in on that. And that's not helpful either. Um, I think it's, so so that's that's something. And you mentioned before about getting on the scale and weighing oneself. Um, There's a lot of controversy about this. Uh, Personally, I believe that scales um, should be used on a very limited basis. Uh, And I think that also it's important to remember that every scale in the world is different. So, if you're weighing yourself at your doctor's office, at the gym, you know, at your neighbor's, at your house, all those scales could fluctuate. And the other thing is that I like to encourage my clients to use their clothes as their scale. We can tell by our clothes if we're losing weight or gaining weight. And I think that we all need to have this window uh, within which our, our weight can fluctuate just based on the time of year, for women, maybe the time of month. You know, our age, the amount of activity that we've engaged in. And speaking of activity, I like to work with people to get more involved in body embodiment and really being inside their body. And there's nothing more critical than moving our body. And some of us have the ability to move our body more than others. But if you start with incremental steps, I mean, there are people in, in, in wheelchairs who are able to. Um, engage in certain kinds of of yoga, for example. There's something that we can all do for our body, either on a physical level or to calm our central nervous system. And that can, in turn, lead to a better sense and um, higher regard for our body image. So those are are some things that come to my mind. Um, I wanted to move on to some questions that I encourage people to consider journaling around, just to gain some understanding of the way that their mind is working and maybe what what could afford to shift. Um, one of the things that I'll ask clients is, when was the first time that you were embarrassed about your body? And I just asked them, you know, I, it, just to recall a memory when all of a sudden they felt self-conscious about their body. And there could be so much information in that. I um, sometimes learn that somebody made a comment to them, or that they um, tried to do something, you know, tried to engage in some physical activity and were unsuccessful and blamed it on their body, or if they were going shopping and they were trying on clothes and things didn't fit. So I, I like to um, I like to explore with them. When was the first time that you were embarrassed about your body? Um, I also like to encourage people to list three thoughts that they have about their body. And then to reflect on, are these thoughts fact or fiction? Are they distorted? What's the evidence that that thought is accurate? So that we're slowly trying to distinguish between the distorted thoughts, the fiction, and what's true and what isn't. So, for example, I, I know that I'm five, three and a half. Okay, that's a fact. So I tend to be kind of on the short side. And so if I say to somebody, you know, I'm, I'm a short woman, um, I don't think that that's necessarily a distorted thought. I also don't feel like it's a critical self-thought. It just happens to be my stature. Um, I have blue eyes. You know, that's just a fact. Um, and so I, I think that, it, and, and obviously people's thoughts about their body are much more complicated than that, than just the statistics or the uh, you know, the, the identifying factors. Um, but, you know, we start, we start slowly with the obvious things and then we move into some of the other distorted thoughts that they may be having. Um, I encourage people to replace their distorted thoughts with a positive message, a positive message. So one of the ways to do that, and this is my favorite way to do it, is to um, identify things about your body that you're really grateful for like rather than looking at what you think is broken or not right, what about all the things that are working? What about all the miracles that are going on with our body in any given moment? Um, I remember, I remember I was uh, a personal example. This is just an example in my mind. Um, I remember I was riding my bicycle once and I was riding up this hill and these two people rode past me really fast And my first thought was, wow, I'm really slow. And, you know, I kind of blame my body, like I'm not in good enough shape. That was not helpful. I immediately went to, how lucky am I that I can ride a bicycle? How lucky am I? Because we all know people that don't have that ability. And so shifting to one of gratitude, it's so important to do this on a regular basis. Shifting from the negative self-critical thought to the thought of, being um, amazed at the miracles that we have access to because of our bodies on an, on an ongoing basis. So that's another thing. Um,
0: For me, this is a little more vain, but this just made me think I've always really, um, I've liked my hair. I have blonde hair. So even in times when, um, and I don't have to diet, you know, so, and I know so many people that do, and even in times when I'm feeling completely off, like when I have felt so awful about the rest of my body, I remember thinking, well, I'm really grateful though for my hair. I don't have to spend all that money dying it. Like I just would try to, even when I was really overweight and unhappy with myself, I would try to shift it to that you know, and then thinking of other things that I liked, you know, not just physically, because there was other physical things that I liked, but even like another kind of funny thing is I've always had like a really, I've just been really strong always. Um, so I would I would just be grateful for my own strength, you know, like again, yeah, I might be a little bigger in my body than I want to be, but I'm also really strong and I'm able to do a lot of things because of that. Like I'm really, really strong. So yeah, I, I, I think that's really important to have that kind of shift. If it's something as, you know, just your hair or something more like you're saying, just the ability to be able to ride a bike or take a walk or do an exercise class or even do some yoga. Or like for me, just feeling strong in my Mm -hmm. body, you know, focus on those good things. I think that is so, so important because we can all find something, right? I mean, there's something, yeah.
1: And I and I purposely emphasize the word incremental because mm-hmm. I think we live in a culture where it's like go big or don't don't do anything at all, and I think that that's um, that's not helpful. And I also think that it sets us up. Mm-hmm. So an incremental change could be going out for a ten minute walk. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and sometimes I'll have clients come in and they'll say, "That's it. I'm going to go to the gym five days a week." <laughs> And I'll say to them, is that realistic? Do you have what are you gonna take off of your time plate in order to put that on? And I'm not trying to discourage them at all. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help them avoid setting themselves up for feeling like they failed. Yeah. And so that's that's something that's why incremental changes.
0: Yeah. Incremental makes it sustainable. And that's really the goal. It's not, you need to be perfect right now. It's you make these small incremental changes that you can sustain over a long period of time. And then it's there for your lifestyle.
1: That's right. Yeah. And I, I forgot to mention, Siobhan, that, that the, the most important way for us to connect to our body Um, because I started the podcast talking about how it was critical that we identify what calms us. Mm -hmm. You can't do that if you're running around busy all the time. It requires some degree of just pausing. It doesn't need to be a lot of pausing. Um, So an exercise that I'll encourage people to do is once a week, intentionally eat a meal where there is no distraction. There's no TV, your phone is put away, you're not on your laptop, you're not you know, reading the newspaper, uh, you're not driving, that, that one meal a week, that's an incremental change. One meal a week, you just sit in a calm environment, preferably, and you just eat, and you chew, and you savor the food. I mean, there's a reason why people should take about 20 minutes to eat a meal. Mm-hmm. That's how long it takes for satiety to reach the brain. And there's something really lovely about chewing your food and not gulping it down. And so that's, that's something that I, that I like that's my clients. It's
0: really try. interesting you bring that up because I'm in the situation now where I'm able to actually eat breakfast by myself. My kids are back in school on a like limited basis. And so it's like, and that's my, happens to be my favorite meal of the day. I eat a really big breakfast and, um, But I found myself at first because I'm so used to being busy and things going on like I'd be on my phone while I was eating breakfast or watching you know something or reading something it was really hard for me just to sit and enjoy and finally I was like what am I doing like this is the huge gift here of peace and quiet it's the only meal that I can eat without my kids like mommy I need this I need this I need that and so, yeah, I really treasure that time now um, to really just sit. And I'm not perfect. This morning, I was reading over my our, our notes for today's session. So I, but for the most part, I now try to just eat and just do that. But I cannot believe how much harder that is for all of us that are so busy and feel like we have a million things to do and we need to multitask. But you're right. It's so important. I like how you just said, just pause. You know, take that time to just pause. And I feel so much more calm mm-hmm. after that. And actually having that pause makes me, I feel more um, efficient than in the day. I actually tend to get, be more productive by taking that little rest time to pause. And I feel like I enjoy my meal and I love my breakfast so much and I enjoy it better. And it just feels like I stay full longer. I don't know. Yeah. But it's harder have- said than done. I will say that to people because I, I was definitely surprised by how challenging it was for me the first few days.
1: Well, that's because of habit. Yeah. Right? yeah. You were in the habit of, of multitasking while you were trying to eat. Yeah. And it became such a habit that it was just automatic and you weren't even aware that you were doing it half the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's ironic because most people really enjoy food, love food. And yet they are robbing themselves of the opportunity to really experience it. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's a lot of people in in the world who are struggling with digestive issues. Mm -hmm. And some of that that is because of the the food that they're eating. Some of it is because of medical conditions that they have. And I believe that a lot of it is also because we're not chewing our food in a way that is breaking it down um, so that we can process it and not have things um, be compromised in, in that process. So there's all sorts of benefits. You get to enjoy the food. You get some peace and quiet. Your digestion functions better. There's a sense of peace and calm. And so I definitely encourage people to do that. Um, I also think that it can be helpful to surround yourself with people and community who are living lives that, as I said in the beginning of the session, that are not fixated on physical appearance, but are, are fixated on things that are more empowering and more positive. Um, you know, as women, we live in a culture where we get messages from a very young age that the way that we look matters. That doesn't mean that men are spared of body image issues. A lot of men get messages around that they should look bulkier, that they should be muscular. And I've worked with male clients that felt a lot of pressure around that, or they felt like they were um, too thin, or they felt like they, they were too short. So it's, it's not something that is limited to women. I do believe that women experience distorted body image statistically more than men do. But we don't, you know, we don't have it all on our side of the gender issue. It's also something that many men struggle with. Um, and so it's, it, it behooves us as a culture to do a deeper dive into what is it that we are really putting an, an emphasis on and what is it that we value and what is it that's life affirming and what is it that's working? Is it working? If it were working this obsession with body and appearance, if it were working, then there wouldn't be so much illness. It wouldn't, the diet industry wouldn't be what? $50 billion industry. It you know you'd look around and people would be living their lives in healthy bodies, and instead we are all just fixated on things that are um, many many of the goals that people set for themselves are either unrealistic or are not done in a way that's healthy, and so it's it's all about I, getting in touch with oneself, keeping their body calm, changing their thinking away from distorted critical thoughts to ones that are more factual and less critical, Um, and also being mindful of the role of food in our lives. And also, I really put great emphasis on moving your body. When we move our body, and it doesn't need to be rigorous exercise, but it needs to be getting up and moving our body around. That's the way our bodies are designed. They're designed to move. And there's a lot of talk now about how sitting is the new smoking and that sitting is so bad for you. Well, there's evidence that suggests that you can get up and and just walk around for a few minutes and get things moving and that that's that's impacting. So I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to go train for a marathon. I am saying that there's a lot of pleasure that can be derived in finding ways to move our body that we enjoy. Um, this is not telling people to go to the gym if they hate going to the gym. Uh, It's identifying what is it that brings you pleasure? Like, what is it that you used to do as a kid to move your body? You know, was it riding a bicycle? Was it jump rope? Was it playing ball? What is it? Was it it dance? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And dancing is something that you can do in the privacy of your home, or you can get together with friends or, you know, any of that. Um, and I just wanted to comment on something that you said before about when you were saying that it's that it's hard to get into the practice of having a, a, a mindful breakfast where you're not distracted. None of this is easy. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to imply that, hey, everybody, just do A, B, and C, and you'll be fine. Working on uh, feelings about ourselves on an emotional level and a physical level is a lifelong process. Um, I used to be very overweight and Uh, the degree to which my energy went toward obsessing about my body and trying to hide my body and trying to avoid certain social situations and just getting into this looping cycle of negativity and shame and disgust. It wasn't until I started to talk to people about it and become more upfront about how I really felt about my body And then started to feel safe enough to explore changing the way that I was eating. Um, I made big changes in how I ate so that my body could feel like I was working in a way that was supportive nutritionally instead of just being addicted to junk food. So this is a process and I don't want to imply that people, um, I don't wanna put pressure on people and I don't want people to feel criticized. That's not what this is about. I certainly had a decades long journey that got me to the place where I am today. And I'm very grateful. And I also know I could not have done it alone. There's no way I could have done it alone. I was blessed with people in my life, whether it be therapists or friends or um, family members who were supportive and, and who enabled me to speak my truth about what was really going on for me, how I felt about my body, what I was eating, um, you know, that my, my inhibitions, my self-consciousness. So I think that all of that is important. And, um, and I, I encourage people to find somebody that they trust, that they can start to confide in, um, not necessarily commiserate with, because it's not about, oh, you know, a group of people sitting around talking about how much they hate their bodies. I don't think that that's helpful. I think it's more about people supporting one another in identifying once again incremental changes that they could make that those other folks could support them around and it can be it can be something that 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 can feel so small to you but that if you do it and you build upon it it will result in big changes not only in what you think to yourself and the thoughts of self criticism getting eradicated but also in your physical health
0: Yeah, I love that. I was just thinking when you said that it'd be kind of cool to just find a friend or a family member that's also struggling and just make this like agreement together that you're going to help each other, you know, on a day it's like, Hey, I'm having some really negative self-talk and Mm -hmm. that partner, you know, kind of supporting you and be like, okay, let's turn it around. It'd be kind of neat to do that with somebody together. Um, Because yeah, there's a lot of us that have this issue and aren't talking about it. So I think you're right. When you kind of open yourself up, you'll realize you are not alone at all. And it's something that um, I think instead of, like you said, groups of women, especially get together and maybe commiserate. I feel so fat, da-da-da-da, hey, let's just not do that anymore. You know, let's be more supportive of, Yeah you know, I'm feeling lethargic. So, you know, maybe I'll start doing some more exercise, just kind of reframing it. So yeah, I love that idea. And I know we've got to kind of wrap up here. So I'm just want to leave it with anything else that maybe you wanted to say around this, that we didn't get to any kind of last thoughts from you.
1: Well, like I I started the, the podcast talking about that. My goal is to help people to move away from kind of body obsession toward body connection. Mm-hmm. And that is a process. And I think that it's something that is definitely worth investing in of your time. And it starts with paying attention to what calms you, what soothes you, what energizes you, what, um, and, and, and it's not just what, but who, what activities, what environments, how much busyness, revs you up and how much busyness feels like it's the the right amount, just paying attention to how your body, the messages that your body is giving you, because there's there's an infinite amount of information that our bodies are constantly trying to convey to us. And we have to pause long enough to pay attention to what that information is. Um, And that requires just setting aside some time. I gave you some questions that people can ask themselves. Um, You know, and they can engage in some journaling activities. If anybody has any uh, follow up questions that they want to ask me they can um, get in touch with me. Um, I'd be happy to, to share any thoughts that I have with them.
0: Yeah, and I was going to say, you've been doing these awesome workshops. I'm on Sarah's uh, mailing list. So she is offering like online workshops and really great different topics for people. So check out, and I'll I'll make sure I link this, but her website is saralevitecounseling.com, and her email is saraleviteconsulting at gmail.com. I'll link both of those in the episode notes, but I really encourage you to go to our website. Um, well, and they, if anyone wants to make an appointment with you too, they can do that. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about the pandemic, you know, you're located in Maine, but you can zoom with clients everywhere. Um, but also maybe if they are interested in some of these workshops that you're giving, I think, um, I know you do them on like anxiety and, and other issues as well. So, um, I encourage people to go sign up. So thank thank you. you so much, Sarah, for taking the time again today. Always love talking to you. And we're going to have to talk more because I just feel like we could go on and on and on. I appreciate
1: you having me, Siobhan. And I appreciate the work that you're doing too. It's a wonderful service for people. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember... Life is so much sweeter without sugar.